define your success or else you'll be living out somebody else's, right? Because it is those individuals who say, oh, you're good at that. Let me let me introduce more. Let me introduce more. Let me introduce more. And then you find yourself n- not even realize that you drifted, you know, pretty far from where you wanted to end up. Now, sometimes we can we can drift and fall in love. Right. And, and that's OK. That's why I said be flexible. Right. You could you know, we could have preconceived notions about what an experience is like. So experimentation is OK, but we have to do it with open eyes. Hey there, this is Ben. Thanks for tuning in to lead the team. Before we jump in, we just broke into the top three percent of all podcasts globally. And that's largely due to the support of listeners just like you. I invite you to subscribe so you're notified when we release a new episode and also leave a quick review. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. And welcome back to Lead the Team. I've got a fun one coming your way today with Obed Lusaint, who's the Senior Vice President of Transformation and Culture over at IBM. Obed leads the areas of leadership, learning, diversity, inclusion, and transformation for IBM, and he's responsible for reinventing people systems and culture to enable innovations to the marketplace and ensure IBM's clients succeed and identify new areas for growth. Let's dive in. Obed, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's start this off. Why'd you choose HR in the first place? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, I started my professional career doing investment banking. Um, I switched to HR because I wanted to make a lot less money. Uh, <laughs> and like, this, but, is way, this is way too enriching working. This is too, way, too, yeah, yeah. <laughs> way too enriching. Uh, but on a more serious note, I love... Uh, um, complexity of people-related issues, and people spend so much time mm. at at work that if you can improve their work and get people to their best work, you can improve their lives. Yeah, you said the word complexity. It just seems I, I think when you read it, like in the Wall Street Journal, and it's like, hey, we're just going to throw more money at the problem, and that's going to solve our employee motivation. Or we're going to do we'll pull this lever or do this lever, and you, you said that I think you hit it on the head. It's way more complex than just doing one thing. And uh, yeah, we you've got to be comfortable with the complexity if you're going to get in the people leading business. Uh, so let's let's advance the conversation just a little bit. So I understand that you talk a lot about defining success. What experience have you had? that makes defining success such an important career principle? Well, you know, it's, it's a, it's an interesting thought. And then what I think defining success is so important because if you don't define your own success, you could find yourself living out someone else's definition of success, whether that be mm. a mentor, a manager, uh, a, a friend, a, uh, a, a spouse, um, a parent. So I think mm. it's super important to step back and say, what does success mean to me? Uh, and 
being flexible about that because as life and context has changed, so I I reflect on that annually and then say, what does success look like um, for me now, given these things? It looked very much different before my wife and I had our um, had our baby girl and then after. Right. So so being being home for more dinners and more weekends is certainly a lot more important to me and in me feeling successful um, every day. Man, I'm glad you said that. And I'm glad we hit on this principle because leaders before they become, you know, after they become a leader, they're even busier than before. And it's so easy to, and we are so easily influenced. A lot of times we don't really realize that we're being influenced. Like, uh, for example, like you say, uh, you see the, your bosses, your other family members, you don't necessarily, movies you watch, all of these things play into sort of our mentality of what success is for ourselves. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves living our lives, trying to achieve somebody else's dream or someone else's, you know, goal in this. When I'm just curious, how old were you or or where were you sort of in your career cycle when you recognized that you need to spend a little more time defining success for yourself? I, I do recall a. There's two incidents that were defining in in, in my career. One was it was very early on, uh, and I was part of a rotational program, and I actually didn't want to rotate. <laughs> so and then so I dropped out of the rotational program. But I had a number of powerful mentors who said, mm. um, "Why would you do that? This is a specially curated leadership development program." Um, mm. But what I mm. wanted was to stay in the job that I was in because I hadn't fully achieved the outcomes and that I that I wanted to get out of, out of that job. So yes, I had saw a number of things and it would have given me preview to um, another couple of things when I was in the new job, but I actually wanted to act- complete something. And that's when mm. I would have felt more accomplished. And then so, and I gained a lot more out of staying and finishing. And then, mm-hmm. that, then that gave me confidence to say, hey, you know what? Sometimes mentors are going to be um, well, very well-intentioned, but misaligned with what it is that you want. And it's okay. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It turned out okay <laughs> that I actually took a, a selfish decision, one that I thought was um, more suited for myself. The second one, the second experience was with a very, um, a great sponsor. So I would call it different than a mentor. So this was a career sponsor and he was very direct and frank with me. He said, hey, look, in the next five years, if you want to get to, and we were talking about out um, in game, he said, if you want to get there, if you're not at these particular places in the next five years, you should leave. Um, and he was very direct and mm. very clear. And then it helped me in that conversation to say, because sometimes when people are having career discussions, you t- generalize too much and then say, hey, I just want something that is going to help me grow. But you're not saying what you really want. <laughs> so there's a lot of things that's going to make us grow, including what we eat. <laughs> but it doesn't necessarily mean that it actually is going to fulfill the career objective. So when he gave me that level of specificity, um, and I started to use it in my next conversations, I started to mm-hmm. realize that people can help you more effectively when you are clearer on what it is that you want, what you need, um, and what you, um, what the outcome or the destination that you're trying to get to. 
Yeah, so, so it's true. I feel like so many people, and me for years early in my career, I really felt like my boss should be able to read my mind. I mean, and I didn't actually realize that's <laughs> yes. what, that was my mindset, but I'm like, you should know that I want to get promoted. You should know what I want to do. And, you know, no wonder he kept throwing out things that were really kind of convenient for him to have right. me grow in, or maybe those were just the things that were coming up in the company. But I was like, man, I sure don't want to do that stuff. And it kind of just ticked me off, but I, I kind of rolled into those areas because I'm like, I want to get ahead. I want to get a promotion, but what ends up happening so many times, and I'd be curious about your perspective. If you go into an area that you don't enjoy and you have success, don't be mad or irritated if people start giving you more of that kind of work that you don't like because you were successful, right? You're just kind of like marketing for the wrong thing. <laughs> I think that's absolutely right. And then I think that that's where, and then that's where, where it start off the conversation is define your success or else you'll be living out somebody else's, right? Because it is those individuals who say, oh, you're good at that. Let me, let me introduce more. Let me introduce more. Let me introduce more. And then you find yourself not even realize that you've drifted, you know, pretty far from where you wanted to end up. Now, sometimes we can we can drift and fall in love right and and that's okay mm. that's why i say be flexible right you could you know we could have preconceived notions about what an experience is like so experimentation is okay but we have to do it with open eyes so when you go through your annual process and you or monthly or however periodically you're doing it and you start thinking about success is there like a prompt you use or like a process what uh, seems to work for you when you're thinking about success for Obed and how how that's going to look? So it is it's it's a it's very simple. I step back and then I generally do it around the end of the year. I find myself more reflective at that particular time period, mm -hmm. um, and then say, and then I just envision. I say, where am I this time next year? Like, where am I with my family? Where am I with my health? Where am I with my job? And it is, you know, where's my spirituality? So there's just a series of envisioning yourself, um, you know, that next year and then say, okay, then what do I need to do in order to get there? Yeah, it's, it's so important. It's, you know, sometimes people say, well, do you do your annual goals? And they're immediately like, yeah, well, my company requires me to fill it out every year at the end. And, and I think that's great that they have an annual review with their company. The company's thinking about it, but I liked how you hit the professional and then you hit the personal and you yeah. thought about, you're thinking about your health, your family, you know, all these other domains. And I think some people make the mistake of, and I did this for years too. And I worked, worked for a, a fortune 50 company as I was just really using that annual goal planning process to be like, that's my planning process. But I was leaving out all these other domains that honestly made me better, a better leader at the company. If I took the time to, um, to think about it. In fact, now that I think about it, maybe companies should start broadening their domains and their <laughs> annual reviews. <laughs> what are you going to do for your health? What do you do for your family and friends as part of that? There's oh. a few laws that might have something to say about those things, but. Oh, oh okay. All right. I, I guess but, I'll, I guess we'll, well take other that, than that There was the, the concept, but I think you're, the point is an important one. And then that's what I think it's bring your whole self, right? Bring your whole self. Whole self. 
um, inclusion, and those types of things free ourselves for innovation, right? When uh, the rest of the, the bits of our lives are in check, it allows us with more clarity to focus on the work that we're doing, and we see how it fits into our jigsaw puzzle of life. I love it. And I like the idea of thinking about it as a puzzle because it's so it's such a proactive metaphor. I mean, there's things about work-life balance and all these other ways. If we think about it as a puzzle, it's proactive because, hey, they're different pieces, but it's up to you to fit, to fit them together and to make them work. And they don't always work. As, and it's rarely like one and done, too. You're kind of having to reposition the pieces an awful lot. Uh, but but so so what's the worst leadership advice that you've ever heard? <laughs> Unfortunately, this is one that I think we all have gotten at some point in time. But mm-hmm. the worst ever is keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> I have Tell me absolutely, more. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea what to do with that. Right. So keep doing what? I mean, I've done a lot of things. So what is it that you want me to keep doing? What is it that you want me to stop doing? So to help overcome that, because this is one that people use when they have not been thoughtful about feedback. So when yes, they haven't yes. been when they haven't been really paying attention or they don't know how to help somebody improve. So <laughs> no offense to anybody, but you sound lazy when you tell somebody keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> but that's basically saying get back to work. Right. <laughs> Why are you bothering me now? Keep doing what you're doing. So what I've did um, the bit of advice that I give to others that I've used and to navigate that to help to get to more specific is mm-hmm. that, oh, thank you. What is it specifically that you would like me to keep doing? And is yes. there anything that I could stop doing to keep doing more of that? Right. Then it gets to a much richer conversation. Yeah, I love that. And again, it's kind of the puzzle piece where it's it's so proactive. Like you, you're getting feedback from probably someone that may be higher up in the organization. And you're not just letting that. I mean, by the way, I've heard that too. And I always (laughs) interpreted that as, hey, you're doing a good job. Yeah. But, and I felt good about it. But did, to your point, even being told you're doing a good job, that feels good. but how is that helping you grow as a leader? And are you just going to accept that? Or are you going to say, hmm, give me a little more on that. Give me some more specificity. We can all grow. That's helped by growth-mindedness. Um, we want, we're, we crave feedback and feedback is a gift. So um, let's not be complacent in how we listen to feedback just as much as we don't want to be complacent in how we give it. What's the one trait you wish you could instill on every employee and why do you think it's so important? Curiosity. Hmm. Um, I think if you can instill an individual um, and in all people curiosity, it has a number of benefits, right? Um, curious about what skills are in demand and then they ensure that they have the most up-to-date skills that the organization and that they need curiosity about the business and how the business makes money. So then you're thinking about, okay, how does my skills then fit into the business context? Curiosity about the marketplace and the changing dynamics about the marketplace. Then they're taking their skills and then investing into the business and putting in the context of the things that are more critical to the market. So I think if if there was one particular trait, I would I would just go to curiosity because it pays dividends in a number of ways. 
Yeah, really, it's just a way of life when you think about it from that standpoint. Like it, 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 it gets into all aspects of life. Uh, even getting curious about your daughter. How old is your daughter now? Four. Four. Okay. Mine's <laughs> eleven. I remember the days of four. And really, curiosity can lead to patience, even when yes. <laughs> uh, things are getting a little crazy at home. But. Trying to ask some questions, trying to be like, why, why is she crying? I don't understand that exactly. But yeah, that or at work, such a but, powerful trait. Yeah. And you know, what's funny that you say curiosity um, and how it leads to growth, because you never, until you're like talking to a toddler, you never realize that there could be so many whys. <laughs> like, why? Well, why? Well, why? <laughs> You know, you, you, you really realize that you, you got to get really good at your explanation. Yep. They, they will get, they embrace curiosity so naturally. It is a beautiful thing. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. So we, we often work with leaders around the cash of a cost of turnover, which can be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars when a, when a top performer leaves. Do you believe that turnover is something that leaders should be pl- paying close attention to as well as the cost? Um, I do, um, but I don't put a whole lot of onus on it, right? I think um, uh, turnover, attrition, um, is a cost of doing business, right? Mm. And while there's cost, mm. there's huge benefits, right? From a standpoint of, you know, in, in some cases, somebody needs to turn over or go to the next place in order mm. to get to the thing that is best for them. And then that enables an opportunity for the team to grow and you create career velocity within the organization. When individuals turn over, it allows more um, capability to come into the organization. It brings outside in perspectives, right? So I do think that there is a um, a healthy and a natural element of turnover. Mm-hmm. And we, in, as organizations, yes, we should certainly track it. What I like to think about is, is the organization as we, every month, right, with individuals who left and individuals who came on board, are we getting smarter, right? Mm-hmm. So the individuals that have moved on, that we have um when we've promote and we've when we've hired we are becoming more skilled more equipped for the clients that we need to serve right it's not about the individuals themselves but it's about the mix of the skill that we need in order to deliver value so you can get smarter and better as an organization with healthy natural turnover that's a cool question we talk we talk about turnover a lot on the show, but really haven't heard that angle. And I think it's important that leaders really think about that. So churn is normal. It's going to happen. But the question is, it's not whether, whether they're going to have churn or not. It's, is your organization getting smarter? I love that. And that that that's really a call to action. So if you someone's leaving the organization, you're really thinking about it differently. Like, hey, this is what we've lost potentially in that person. But how now? Are we going to get smarter? And it may be hiring somebody from a has a different perspective, or maybe a couple people. But uh, what a, what a terrific grounding question! So, without including names, what's your most colorful story of when someone quit or was fired? 
Oh, oh, I'd love to give the name. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Ben Fanning guy. <laughs> I never worked for IBM, y'all. <laughs> Most colorful story. So um I here's one, and then it, it directly ties to the conversation that we were just having about turnover. Okay. There was um a, a performer on my team who wasn't um who was not pulling their weight, right? And it happens. It happens. It happens. Their peers saw it before I saw it, right? And then I always think that that's the first—that's the first people who see when there's a lower performing individual that was on the team. And as I started to see it, I started to get more curious, and then spent some time with that particular individual, and then spent some time with the other members of the team to unpack what was actually going on with the outputs of the team. It isolated it to this particular individual within had pretty frank and direct conversation within um, a short period of time and moved the individual on from the company and did not backfill the role or did not put another person Mm -hmm. in the job. But what I found was the team was much more cohesive, even a person down. The team was much more aligned. The standards mm-hmm. raised, and then it it taught me a lesson in that in saying, "Look, um, you and you got to address performance, and you got to address performance quickly because, or else it will erode the the capacity, the energy, the tenacity, the engagement of the rest of the team members who are even who yeah. want to deliver at the top of their game." Yeah, a great note for leaders there. First of all, it's not always as a leader and you're doing a lot of things and you've got a team, it's not always easy to understand if and where that's actually going on and that you're listening to the rest of the team and being thoughtful. And, you know, I commend you on obviously creating that layer of trust where they felt like they could communicate some of this performance stuff to you. So you could kind of get the gist on it. And then you were able to focus your attention, you know, on the person and, and, and understand, you know, that person need to move on. But, yeah, it's um when you hear about it on like the last dance, like with the Chicago Bulls and like that documentary, and they talked about the players that changed over and some left. And sometimes also the the flip side uh from that Chicago Bulls documentary, you have like Dennis Rodman, who you think wouldn't be a fit necessarily, but uh he brought he brought the magic. Brought the magic, there you go. You know, to that. And if, frankly, it doesn't seem like Rodman should be fitting anywhere on the <laughs> basketball court, but uh, he's got something special. But I think there's an important um, lesson even in that illustration, right? Mm-hmm. Is that, um, And it has to do with the last three questions that we talked about um, around turnover, um, changes, dynamics of the team, mm-hmm. and, cult, uh, and who comes on to replace. Now, I, I oftentimes think culture fit is a hidden term for bias, right? Um, but you think about see that. your team and your organization and say, what do I need as a culture ad, right? 
And mm-hmm. Dennis Rodman added to a culture ad, right? From and and so it was an additive to what is it do I need on this particular team? Now I won't go into answering what they needed on the Chicago Bulls at that time. <laughs> but what I would say is when we do have openings on our team, when we do um have performance, um, you know, when we move on a low performer, when we when we are able to coach somebody mm-hmm. out, say culturally, what am I trying to build? And then how can I use this specific opportunity as a culture ad? Yeah, that's a that's that's tough. You gotta you gotta have a vision as a leader, and you've got to be willing to really ground your actions in that. And that's a great question to help you get there. Culture fit versus culture ad. What am I missing on the team? Or maybe you know, it, maybe you're look you're just hey, I, this is a bit of a wild card, uh, but they're going to bring something different, and it might help us you know leapfrog to our goals. Uh, yeah, but it takes a lot of vision and a lot of guts as a leader to make that call. Um, yeah, the job ain't called a leader because it's easy. Yeah, I mean, you ain't you don't have to lead. You know, you don't have to follow even. <laughs> it's all optional. Right? It's all a, all a conscious choice. When's the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career and how did it lead to your success or growth on down the road? Um, hmm. I was an unexpected twist. I'll even say is the job that I'm in today, right? Um, a little over two years ago, the, the role didn't exist. If I was looking at my personal career plan, I wouldn't have identified it. Um, and so, but when when I got the call from um, the the CEO or the video chat uh, in, in in July of twenty in July of twenty twenty, and he explained the vision for the role, it was wow, what a what a creative um, positioning of a number of levers for change of an organization for transformation and in his vision for driving culture. Um, I, I, it was, and by the way, it was all the things that I loved. <laughs> it was all the things that yeah, I loved. Leadership, learning, diversity, inclusion, right? Those are your That's four right. areas. Talent, talent acquisition skills, you know, it's um, so it's like, wow, uh, unexpected twist, but it ables to um, put the levers together for um, of functional capabilities that I love to do in a company that um, I, I've spent, you know, two decades of, of my life with to to drive the in the being the driver's seat of the change. So it was an awesome twist. Right. And then that's why I think it's it goes back to our first where we started the discussion around defining success, but being flexible. Mm. Right. So while yep. success for me was being in the driver's seat of a number of those functional areas, I had no idea it was going to be in that specific, in this specific seat. Yeah. And I, and I dare say that because you've done the work to define success for yourself, it was probably a lot easier to say yes to that role. Hours. <laughs> I mean, it, it, otherwise you might've been like hemming and hawing and like, oh, it just seems it's a new role. It seems risky. Of course, it probably felt like an honor. I mean, this is a cool role. It's a cool <laughs> <You> know, role. <laughs> I, I want to tie it back. I you, uh, do you know Pame Bassi? Does that name ring a bell? Um, no. She's she's the chief uh, learning and diversity officer over at Kraft Heinz, and and she's okay. been on the on the show, and she's a really cool cool person. Some some pretty good TED talks and things like that. Improv improv second city background, which is kind of interesting in an executive role. <laughs> 
But uh, she started as a chief learning officer and they brought diversity under her because they're like, you know what? Um, it's a learning diversity. Mm. And a lot of this, it's, it used to be, and I'm curious on your feedback on this. It used to be more of, hey, we got to look at our recruiting practices. We don't have a diverse population of, of employees. But now I think people are thinking about this as, hey, we need to think differently. It goes, we have inclusion, like uh, inclusions under you here at IBM too. It's it's a thinking and a learning issue. We've got to teach our people to think more broadly. It's not a check the box function here. Uh, what's your what's your take on that? I think it's inter- it's an interesting concept. I certainly do see how the two things work together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so because um, uh, it is education is so important um, for people to better understand and comprehend the differences and the similarities, right? Because mm-hmm. through our education, also we could we could see the value of intersectionality. But I would also venture to say that education alone doesn't solve the challenge, right? Hmm. Um, and you know, if that was the case, we'd all eat more effectively, right? We all got a certain <laughs> amount of time. We'd all eat more vegetables. Right. Yeah. We know about, you know, the, the pyramid table of food, but we just don't execute on it. So it's a it's a matter of, yes, it's key and paramount and it fits into the puzzle around education. But I do think it has to be embedded in all of the particular experiences. And the most inclusive organizations are thinking about this from their customer's perspective as well, are thinking about this from their CSR approaches are thinking about how they're impacting yes. the world across all of the dimensions. So, the, so there's a prompt or there's a plan uh, that there is a way to trigger the thinking in case it's getting left out of the equation yeah. in our day to day. That that's cool. And that, and that is that, I mean, that's part of your role. It is to, it is. to embed that. So, all right. So let's say we, I want to, I, IBM's huge. Okay. But let's say we got a company that's, maybe like a thousand to 5,000 employees. And they're like, man, we're running like crazy over here. We don't, I think I believe in diversity as a leader. I want to, I want to promote this in my company, but we're just moving so fast. What is a first step they could take to just be more mindful in their day to day could be hiring could be doing business, signing new agreements with suppliers. Like they don't have a team to tackle the whole enchilada at one time, but maybe what's a, what's the step that they could take? Um, I think one step is taking is, is helping people to understand the business case of why diversity and inclusion is important. Right. So for example, um, a seller would recognize if they only sold to the people that looked in the same way, they'd be limited in the amount that they can grow, grow their business, and then grow their own personal wallet share. So recognizing that the business case, when you open the aperture, you know, from the clients in which you serve, you will your business will grow more effective, will mm-hmm. grow more exponentially. When you look at the 
inputs that are on the team, right? So you will then be able to come up with more creative solutions because you've got different people from different walks of life who are giving input. And then as a result, that opens up more diverse organizations, have more you know, innovative teams, more innovative teams. It is correlated to more diversified revenue streams. So I would start with the business case for it because most small enterprises don't have, um, may not in their first charter is think about social good. There's some, but not most, right? So if they're thinking about how do I get my, this particular business off the ground, I would start with, hey, this is a business imperative. This is Mm -hmm. not societal or philanthropic. Yes, 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 yes. That is the way, going back to the question, that's the way you get it embedded in the organization. Right. We know it's the right thing to do, but when we're just scrambling, trying to live for our customers, trying to make money and make it be profitable, it gets left out. But if it becomes part of the business case and it makes sense, then it's going to be way more top of mind. So for the leaders listening, that might be a great step. Might be a great step. So wrapping this up, oh my gosh, man, we're just like hitting all kinds of topics here. What Obed, what is your parting thought for the listeners today? Uh, parting thought. Uh, it's a big question. All right. So <laughs> I would say. What <laughs> <laughs> thought, Ben? What? <laughs> so, all right. If if I would have said, um, leave a parting thought, I would, um, over the body of my, my particular career, um, from experiences, but also um, from from coaching and and also watching and experiencing great leaders, uh, there are a couple of elements of what I would describe as um, principles around mm, okay. uh, great. developing a great career. One of which we've already talked about. So it's three principles, six small words. <laughs> so firstly, is define success because if you don't define success, you'll be living out somebody else's definition. The second is do good. Right. Um, because if we do good work, our work is the signature, is our brand. Everything that we do, it turns back to, well, who is the character of this particular individual? And that is often in our workplaces measured by the work in which we do when we perform at our very best. And the last, it's hard not to create a set of principles or a set of values without thinking about some influential person. That, um, and, and mine is my mom. Um, and my mama told me to be good because when you are good, you encourage great people that are around you. And iron sharpens iron. And as a result, we get to better outcomes. We get to better collaboration. We get to better innovation and, um, and outcomes for our, for our organizations, whether that be in, uh, you know, for-profit enterprise or not. So three key principles, six small words, define success, do good, be good. Love it. All right, y'all. So if you're not clear on success, now is the time to take 10 minutes, write that out for yourself for your first shot at it, and then do good, be good. Oh, but thank you for coming on. Lead the team. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. 
Go to benfanning.com slash quip to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.